The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our military who are joining us over the Internet today, particularly those of you who are listening from remote outposts. Thank you for being with us again. In just a moment, outspoken researcher and journalist Sean McElwee will be joining us to try to understand why voter turnout in America is one of the lowest among developed nations. You would think that a country founded on the principles of democracy would inspire a passionate voter turnout. But hang on to your hats for the next hour as McElwee breaks down the real reason so few of us show up at the polls. But before he joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Sean McElwee grew up in Groton, New London areas of Connecticut, where he claims he began drinking Dunkin' Donuts coffee and writing at a very young age. It didn't take long before his penchant for hunting down the facts and connecting the dots landed him an internship in the CBS newsroom, and he found himself working for the Reason Foundation and John Stossel's award-winning program called Stossel. McElwee's work has appeared in Rolling Stone magazine, Salon, The Nation, The Washington Post, The New Republic, Al Jazeera, and The Atlantic, who have all widely praised his investigative reporting and unique perspective. At the present time, Mr. McElwee works as a researcher for Demos, and if rumor has it right, he can still be found at the local Dunkin' Donuts enjoying their coffee and writing his next eye-opening expose. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report a journalist who is not afraid to tackle subjects that make the rest of us squirm in our seats, Mr. Sean McElwee. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. McElwee. Thanks for having me on. You recently published an article about low voter turnout in America, and one thing I found particularly interesting was the fact that you claim that the aggregate number of voters, while interesting, doesn't tell the full story. You say that it's who is turning out that's much more interesting. Maybe you could speak to that for a moment. Yeah, absolutely. So we tend to look at the total turnout, you know, in in the most recent election was 42%, um, and presidential elections is normally about 60%. But what that obscures is there are very, very deep gaps between different groups of people. So say the most recent election, if you look at people who are 18 to 24 years old, and they're earning less than $30,000 a year, their turnout rate is 17%. On the other hand, if you look at people who are over, earning over $150,000 and are older than 65%, their turnout rate's nearly four times higher at uh, 65%. So what my argument is, is at the end of the day, when a politician is deciding, do I, put, you know, do I push for more Social Security spending or do I push for, say, relief on student debt, uh, they're much more likely to push for policies that benefit the wealthier, uh, older, and whiter people who turn out to vote than the uh, younger, lower income, and uh, more, more often non-white people who do not vote. Well, tell us a little bit about why you think that people between 18 and, say, 24, 18 and 30 are less likely to vote. I mean, there's nothing to stop them, is there? Um, so one of the things that the United States has that is relatively rare in uh, high-income democracies is that the burden of registration is placed on the citizen uh, rather than the government. And what that means is if you look at, say, if you break down turnout within registered people in the United States, it's actually pretty pretty much uh, at the 
standard level for um, high-income democracies. The problem is, is that we have large numbers of the potential electorate, uh, normally about 20 to 30 percent of people who could be voting who are not even registered. So right off the bat, those people are not going to be voting in the election. And those people also tend to be people who have moved recently, uh, people who are younger and therefore have not been registered before, don't know that they need to get registered, um, and they also tend to be, again, uh, more likely people of color. Um, and so right off the bat, a really easy way to boost voter turnout within the United States is to increase registration rates. In fact, ideally, we would have everyone who is a citizen of the United States, the government would register them when they interacted with, say, a DMV or a public assistance agency. So I would take it you'd be in favor of the uh, universal voter registration that Hillary Clinton has proposed, which would include expanded early voting, an end to uh, voter ID, law, ID laws, uh, felon voting rights r- restoration, and making Election Day a federal holiday. Um, she has really advocated this. I'm, I'm wondering, are you in favor of that? Absolutely. And it's worth making two points here. Uh, The first point that's worth making is that Carter brought this up, um, you know, a long time ago. And when he pushed for it, Reagan, who was then a governor of California, wrote in his syndicated column, um, if this bill got passed, it would make the Republican Party extinct as a dodo bird. And so this is another thing that you have that's relatively unique in high income countries, which is that one political party has explicitly seen Uh, restricting the franchise as a means of electoral success. You really don't see that in most other countries. But I don't Um, see this as a partisan issue. I don't see participation as a partisan issue for the reason that um, the universal voter registration could have been passed easily when the Democrats ruled the House and Senate. So uh, why didn't it go through then? So my argument uh, on this would be that voter universal voter registration should indeed be something that is a uh something that's bipartisan nonpartisan um but i mean when we see things like voter id laws that are passed in highly competitive states with high levels of uh turn among people of color uh primarily done by reg- republican legislatures it's hard to see this as uh something that you know there's one party that definitely see I don't think either party wants uh, universal voter registration because they don't seem to get on with it when they have the power to do something with it. That's my first point of evidence. And my second is, is that the more people that you get to register and the more people you get to show up at the polls, the more campaigning you have to do, the more uh, difficult it is to control the message because you've got now so many different fragmented demographics. It adds so many layers of complexity. I don't believe either party really wants greater voter participation. Why would they? Uh, no, two points. One is, um, I mean, I I mean, I would prefer that if Obama had chosen to spend his political capital on uh, more universal voter registration, but I don't know what the legislative constraints were at the time. I agree entirely that on the whole, politicians tend to favor slightly lower turnout. Um, but when you do have, you know, uh, pushes for same-day registration. Uh, these tend to have more favorite, more favorable support among uh, progressive politicians. Um, and I think that the biggest shift that would happen with a universal voter registration is that it would, in fact, dramatically change the way that parties campaign, and I want them to have to change the way they campaign. Um, right now, if you're running a uh, a campaign, you're going to target uh, you know, people who are registered to vote because you don't have to worry about if you, it doesn't make a lot of sense to target people who are not registered to vote because you're, you know, they might've passed the registration deadline. You have that extra barrier. If everyone's registered to vote, it makes a lot more sense to begin targeting low income people, younger people as potential voters. So that the reason that I like universal voter registration so much is because I think it would change the way that campaigns mobilize. I agree with you. I I would just like to see more voters show up at the polls because I think it makes it more complicated for the candidates and uh, that they have to uh, spell out more 
of a uh, distinguished platform as opposed to being a little bit more lookalike, which they tend to be as you get closer to Election Day. Now, we're going to have to take our first scheduled break, but when we come back, I do want to ask you about how the Electoral College system also discourages voting. It's something that we haven't talked about on this program. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, recent winners of the best sparkling wine in the U.S. in the Champagne and Sparkling Wine World Championship. Congratulations, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Now, many would say that Caraccioli Cellars was a dark horse in this worldwide competition. Definitely. We didn't expect for that to happen. Entering this competition is something I would do it just to get the tasting notes and the feedback from Tom. Tom Stevenson is the bubbles critic. He lives for sparkling wines across the world. And at the very beginning when we started this project, Michelle always said that Tom's opinion was the one that mattered the most in terms of if we're making good bubbles and if we're going in the right direction. And then to win awards and win best of class awards and ultimately the best sparkling wine in the U.S., it's definitely affirmation that we're going in the right direction. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel-by-the-Sea or find us online at caracciolicellars.com or reach us by phone, 831-622-7722. Do you love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience, try Dole's unique salad kit combinations that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination. Greetings, KSCO listeners. This is Randy the Realtor with another real estate fact. Did you know real estate can act as a savings account, a tax deduction, an investment, and give you a place to sleep at the same time? But don't neglect it. You need to pay attention to make it work for you and not against you. Whether it's plumbing and electrical or making sure you have the right insurance coverage, take care of it. They won't maintain themselves. If you want more real estate facts, call me. If it's time to buy or sell a home, give me a call. 831-566-2590. Hello, my name is Jackie Tucker. I am owner of a home care agency called Care from the Heart in Home Service. We are honored to provide a variety of caregiving services from homemade chicken soup to hands-on care and to continue to encourage you and support you to be independent. We specialize in dementia care and end of life. Our team of care providers are supervised by our case managers who are also registered nurses. Our care providers are certified nursing assistants and to further develop their knowledge and caregiving skills, they are taught by our nursing instructor, Barbara Mayoshi. She's a very important member of our healthcare team. Barbara has been teaching in Santa Cruz County for eight years. Hello, I'm Barbara Mayoshi. I'm an LVN licensed vocational nurse and instructor. I have been on the Care from the Heart healthcare team for a year now, providing the wonderful employees of Care from the Heart with their monthly in-services. I teach continuing ed classes to increase their knowledge and skill set. Teaching Care from the Heart caregivers has been delightful. They are kind, caring, and very respectful. Care from the Heart is here to serve you with dignity and respect. Our telephone number is area code 831-476-8316. Again, the number is 831-476-8316. Our doors are opened 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Please call Care from the Heart. Welcome back to the Costa Report. 
I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is journalist Sean McAlee. In your recent article, you also make a case that the electoral college system contributes to low voter turnout. So for our listeners today, can you explain how that system uh, discourages voting? Yeah, so when we look at turnout, I tend to look at three different uh, kind of determinants here. The first is the GOTV operations I was talking about, get out the votes by the parties. Uh, The second would be structural. These are questions that are rooted kind of in historical political realities. So, for example, the registration barriers. Um, And the third are constitutional. These are things that set the United States apart that I think are largely going to remain in place, even though they're probably unhelpful. And the Electoral College is one of them. Um, I mean, the essential reality of the matter is, is that Electoral College votes are divvied up essentially by how the vote goes in your state. And so if you live in a very competitive state and there's a competitive election, then your vote is much more likely to end up mattering. Um, if you live in a state that's like my state where I grew up, which is Connecticut, that leans heavily Democratic, most likely if you're voting Republican, your vote will never end up getting counted because the Electoral College votes would, uh, would go to the Democratic candidate. Um, Right, even if it's 51% um, in nearly every state, the candidate who wins 51% of the vote gets all the electoral college votes for that state. Um, there are other constitutional things that I think reduce voter turnout. Um, the amount of massively uncompetitive districts, um, the malapportionment of the Senate, uh, all of these things mean that in many cases, if you're living in a state in, say, a midterm election, where you have, you know, the only House of Representatives members who are up to to be elected are uh, are sitting in safe seats that have been gerrymandered, um, and your senator, you know, your your state leans very heavily, uh, say Democratic or Republican, your incentive to vote is very low because you can be relatively sure that your vote uh, will not count. Um, so that's the problem with a first past the post system like the United States has. In countries where there's a proportional system, that is where the seats in the parliament or the legislature are divided according to the proportion of the popular vote that the party gets, no matter where you live, you have an incentive to vote because your vote will indeed be counted and will indeed uh, apportion representation. Uh, so that's a, that's a constitutional problem. Uh, that's a problem that I think it's very unlikely we will see changed. Um, so it's worth knowing about, but sadly is something that it probably won't happen too much. Well, when we get to the heart of the problem, isn't it the fact that the winner takes all in, uh, in states um, when it comes to casting their electoral uh, votes? I mean, wouldn't it be better for, to, for them to split up the electoral votes to correspond with the popular vote in their state? And uh, why can't that be done? Um, I'm not entirely sure if that would solve the, I mean, much, a much better system would be to just do, get rid of the electoral college and go with a, with a popular vote. Well, let's talk about a halfway measure. You know, if you've got, if you've got a a group of votes, let's say you've got 10 votes just to make the math easy and uh, one candidate got 40% of the vote and one got, you know, 60%, you cast six to one candidate and four to the other. Why wouldn't that work? Uh, the problem is you'd have to have all of the states do it. If you have lots of states doing lots of different methods, then you can end up having really changing the way that politicians campaign in favor or against different states. I don't know why we'd have to have all the states do it. I know in the state of California, it generally goes Democratic. Every now and again, in a blue moon, it goes Republican. But, you know, there's certainly a lot of Republicans that cast votes here in in the state of California. You would think that you would get much more voter turnout if the electoral votes were cast proportional to the popular vote. Um, and I don't see any reason why that can't be done. And it doesn't have to be done st- uh, to, with every state. I mean, one state can get the ball rolling. Again, this points to the fact that I don't think either party is really serious about increasing <laughs> uh, voter turnout. Because I think there are things like this that they could do, and they and they just simply don't act on them, uh, and uh, and so and and they haven't acted on them, uh, administration after administration after administration. So I think pointing any finger at any particular party is 
uh, you know, is just easily neutralized by the fact that nobody seems to be acting on this. Now, one of the observations that you make in your article is that public policy and programs also encourage or discourage voter engagement. And one of the examples that you use is once Social Security was established, then the number of senior voters increased because um, there was a reason for them to get engaged. Likewise, the stigma associated with the uh, temporary assistance to needy families decreased voter participation by the impoverished. And but but this somehow seemed to imply that we only vote when our personal interests are at stake. Do you think that's really the case? Yeah. So once we get beyond the three sort of factors that I talked about that really are directly voter reform type of measures, there are these other groups of policies that we can talk about when we talk about like the individual psychology of voting that we, we talk about. You know, if you vote once, you're more likely to vote later on in your life. Um, maybe having a holiday and election day would increase voter turnout. And I argue that really at the edge of this literature, but something still worth considering is the possibility that public policies do uh, shift the way that voters engage. Um, so the example I give is Social Security. Um, the, what's interesting is that if you look before Social Security was passed, um, elderly people were not really a strongly mobilized political coalition. Um, if you go back, you know, back in the early 20th century and you tell people, hey, you know, in the 2016 election, the elderly is going to be one of the most important voting blocks. People would laugh at you because the fact is, is that elderly people were not seen then as a really important voting block. And Social Security dramatically shifted that because once you, you know, get this program in place, um, older people have an incentive to vote in order to ensure that this benefit uh, stays in place. It doesn't always have to be quite as uh, self-interested. For example, right. I give the GI Bill. Um, the reason the GI Bill increased voter participation is because you get people who now have a, uh, something that really is in line with the American dream. You, could, you know, you serve overseas, you come back home, uh, the GI Bill, you know, helps you set you up with a house and helps you set up with education. The GI Bill is very well administrated, um, you know, very fair distribution of benefits. People like that, it increases civic participation, not just voting, by the way, but civic participation, uh, you know, in, in community organizations uh, and things like that. So you have two different mechanisms for how public policy can increase voter turnout. It can make people feel good about their government and their country, thereby increasing voter turnout, or it can put in place a benefit that they have an incentive to vote and mobilize in order to keep in place. I I love the way that you have put that. I love that we can be inspired uh, because... Uh, it triggers patriotism in us or makes us proud of the work that our government's doing. And we can also be inspired by self-interest. And I love that your article makes that point uh, because I think a lot of politicians tend to narrowly focus on the self-interest portion of it as opposed to really coming up with programs that will inspire people to uh, to become engaged in government. So I, I really enjoyed that about your article. Now we have to take another commercial break. Stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more from Sean McElwee. You're listening to the Costa Report. Biodiversity is the very fabric of our lives. It is everything around us, all of nature. But human impact is diminishing biodiversity at an alarming rate. And because of that, the intricate web of biodiversity is unraveling in ways we don't fully understand, and our world is becoming less resilient. That's why we are biodiversity advocates. We're the E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation. Guided by the greatest living naturalist, E.O. Wilson, we champion research and education that expands our understanding of biodiversity and informs worldwide conservation efforts. The E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation is building a movement of environmental stewards like you who share our sense of responsibility for the living world that is our home. Join us in our quest to protect biodiversity, the fabric of our lives. Visit eowilsonfoundation.org. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Elaine, a student at Hillsdale College. Here is Hillsdale College President Larry Arn on the importance of the presidential oath of office. Members of Congress and federal judges take an oath to the Constitution, but the Constitution prescribes the exact words of the oath only for the president. The American presidency was a new and powerful office created at the Constitutional Convention of 1787. Nothing like it existed in any other constitution in history. It was designed to allow certain virtues, decision, activity, secrecy, dispatch, things like that. And they were thought to be essential to executive power, especially in a crisis. But despite this immense power, the president is not so powerful as the Constitution itself. That is why presidents must pledge to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution, and why it is the duty of the people to ensure that they do so. This Constitution Minute was brought to you by Hillsdale College. To join the national conversation on the Constitution, go to constitutionminute.com. Happy Olive Days! This is Susan Pappas from the True Olive Connection, making your holiday wishes come true. We are always your go-to place for fresh farm-to-table extra virgin olive oils and aged balsamic vinegars. We now offer a gift line from Mud Pie. New items this season? Handmade pasta, custom local jams, our local honey line, just to name a few. Come in for our new bacon olive oil. Try it on warm spinach salad with our maple balsamic. It's a sure family hit. We are delighted for the first time to offer California Oleo Novovo olive oil. First time you pour it from one of our bottles, you can smell and taste the freshness. Make your family traditions inspired by the True Olive Connection with two convenient locations, downtown Santa Cruz and in Aptos next to UPS. Or find us on our website, trueoliveconnection.com. Oppa! Hello? Hi, Grandma. No, Grandma, I can't fix your computer. I'm sorry it's so slow, but I don't know what to do with it. You clicked on what? You better call user-friendly computing, because I can fix any PC, Mac, or laptop. They'll even come to your house and pick it up. But if you bring it to the shop, they'll give you a free $50 diagnostic just for saying you heard their ad on KSCO. No, Grandma. Downloading that free internet software won't save you time or money. Let's face it, most of your computer problems these days start with the user being tricked into clicking on a link that contains a path to computer hell. User-friendly computing will have you back on track fast. User-friendly computing is locally owned at 505 River Street across from Gateway Plaza, or you can give them a call at 831-423-9653. That's 831-423-9653. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, our guest today is journalist and Dunkin' Donut lover, Sean McElwee. Sadly, amongst non-voters, 59% claim nothing gets done in government, 54% believe the government is corrupt, 42% say say that there's no real difference between the parties, so there's no real choice. And over one-third of voters say politics makes no difference in their lives whatsoever. How did we get to this point? Well, I have uh, two points here. Um, One, we were just talking before the break about how policies that make people feel good about the country, make them feel good about government, make them more likely to participate in the government. And one way is voter turnout. Other ways are, you know volunteering and and being part of community organizations. Um, On the other hand, we've seen a rise in mass incarceration in the carceral state that can have the opposite effect. So Vesla Weaver, who is a political scientist at Yale, has argued in one of her papers showing that, you know, when you have a negative interaction with, say, the police, a police officer, that is, you remember being stopped and frisked or something like that, or... on the other extreme, having been incarcerated for a long time, um, it makes you less likely to participate. And part of that is obviously that if you're incarcerated in many states, you cannot vote, even though that's shown to help people uh, reintegrate with the community. Um, And and, but it's also partially because it just it makes you feel like the government is very much against you. um, And and it it does not leave you with good feelings about the government. It sets up a hostile precedence. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and so I think that there's, there's certainly that is a factor um, in what's, what we've seen here. Uh, I tend to focus on the sort of uh, structural types of issues that we talked about, the get out the vote type issues, because that's where the political science literature is really the strongest. Um, it's very difficult to tie, say, Watergate to lower voter participation. Mm -hmm. But I, I certainly think that there's an argument to be made that as Americans have seen, you know, Watergate, but then worse, when you, you see in the wake of Watergate, the campaign finance regulations and the public financing that was set up, you see that, you know, largely struck down by the court in Buckley v. v Vallejo. And then you see, you know, in the last five to 10 years, just brutal uh, uh, Supreme Court decisions striking down really any attempt to regulate big money in politics and, 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 and help, um, you know, the, the voice of the average people. One of the most frustrating decisions is, for me even more so than Citizens United, is uh, McComish versus Bennett, which uh, struck down a Arizona public financing uh, scheme. And what the public financing scheme was, was that if you got enough donors who were small donors, people giving you $5, then you're eligible for public financing. And the way the public financing worked is every dollar that your opponent got, you got 94 cents. Um, and the Supreme Court struck that, struck that down. And that's a shame because in order for public financing to work, you either have to get a, as same amount of money as your opponent is getting, or there has to be limits on what both of you can spend. Otherwise, there's no incentive for a politician to, to a, a participate in a public financing system. They're essentially cutting off their legs before the race. Well, let's go back to the Citizens, Citizens United decision. I mean, that decision clearly equated contributions with free speech. And so everything that comes after that, it would seem, is set up, uh, including, uh, you know, public uh, financing. Uh, anything that inhibits free contributions or limits campaign contributions is going to be affected by the Citizens United decision. Yeah, and the, and the, and the Supreme Court's failure on campaign finance goes back even further to, to Buckley versus Leo in, in uh, 1973. And, and, and by the way, most of the reasoning behind that in terms of the actual empirical questioning has has been proven wrong. Um, when the lawsuit was originally brought up, uh, the goal was to was to uh, prevent incumbents from using these campaign finance reforms to stay in power. But what we've actually seen is the rise in unlimited money being spent on politics has actually really benefited incumbents and harmed challengers. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so the the Supreme Court's uh, decisions on on campaign finance are a really good example of it acting as sort of a super legislature, but doing it in a really bad way and putting precedents that make it very difficult to get really common sense legislation passed that would inhibit the ability of uh, super mega donors to essentially buy off candidates and also help average Americans to have their voices actually heard through a public financing system. I think there's certainly, I think, even though the political science literature has not gotten to the point where we can say that, there's very strong reasons to believe that more and more Americans are more and more skeptical of the idea that their vote can matter in a system where the Koch brothers can spend nearly a billion dollars on the 2016 Well, election. you make that exact point in your article. You point out that only one out of five citizens believe the government works for the benefit of everyone. But on the other hand, that creates fertile soil to inspire voters with perhaps a program like the GI Bill that we now know increased voter turnout and engagement. So do you think immigration reform could work that way? Could it work like the GI Bill? I mean, I, I would I would love to talk about ways to bring uh, Latino Americans, Asian Americans into the political system because um, some of the most abysmal turnout rates are among Asian Americans, Latino Americans, and um, American Indians. A, we, we certainly need to start thinking of ways and thinking of policies that can bring uh, more and more people into the political system and, and, and get voting. You would certainly think that immigration reform would be one that would bring different demographic groups into the process. 
Uh, absolutely. I think there's a strong case to be made that uh, the United States system of immigration is, is deeply broken and that a lot of people who could would benefit from immigration reform, people who maybe are currently non-citizens or people who, even if they are citizens, feel like uh, you know, these really anti-immigrant laws are kind of directed at people who look like them, that if we got rid of that sort of rhetoric um, and we had a more inclusive democracy, they would feel like, you know what, voting is something that's a part of the country that I love and I'm, and I'm a part of and feel like I'm a part of. Now, you mentioned the Asian population. Uh, what does their voting look like? I mean, are, is it high? Is it low? I mean, can you go by certain cultural groups and measure their participation? Oh, absolutely. So the Census Bureau has data based on race and ethnicity. So they classify um, uh, there's non-Hispanic white, non-Hispanic black, uh, non-Hispanic Asian, and they, they they classify Hispanic actually as an ethnicity rather than a race. But you can certainly get data on voter turnout among different racial groups. What we find is that uh, non-Hispanic whites still have the highest rate of turnout, although in some recent elections it's been argued that African Americans had slightly higher turnout. Um, and then uh, with Latino, uh, Hispanics and Asians having uh, far lower turnout. And also, we had an extremely low turnout in the midterm elections, as opposed to the presidential election. Absolutely. So midterm elections, you tend to have lower turnout because you don't have the sort of presidential race that really mobilizes people. So in a lot of states, when there really aren't any competitive elections, as I've noted, you really don't have a super uh, incentive to turn out and nobody has an incentive to try to get you out to vote. Um, however, it's worth noting that this midterm election was particularly low. Um, turnout dropped from about 46% in the last midterm election, 2010, to uh, 42%. So there was another four-point drop-off in turnout. Any explanation for that? Uh, I do not have off the top of my head an explanation for why that would be. Yeah, it's a, it, it really was a mystery, on, uh, particularly given the number of important initiatives that were on the table. And we have to take our last break, but stay right where you are. We'll be right back after these important messages. You're listening to the Costa Report. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and -and drag-and-drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most important impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at tableau.com slash Costa. That's tableau.com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm a big fan of wines by Caraccioli Cellars. And today I'm here with Scott Caraccioli, who's one of the brains behind the most memorable wines money can buy. So I have a question for you. How did your family get into the wine business? Um, You know, in 2006, my father, his brother and uncle were really playing with the idea of planting a vineyard. And planting a vineyard turned into making a bottle, turned into making sparkling wine when um, Michelle came into the picture. So it was really kind of an organic situation, us being in agriculture in the Salinas Valley, and then the extension of that went to grapes, and here we are today. To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars, where one bottle is never enough. 
I wish these bags under my eyes would just go away. Ladies and gentlemen, there's only two weeks left for their holiday sale. Introducing the new GenuCell Serum with plant stem cell technology from Chamonix. Susan from New Jersey wrote, I've been using GenuCell for a couple of months. The puffiness around my eyes is gone. Even the crow's feet and small lines have disappeared and haven't come back. I love your product. I use it under my eyes, around my cheekbones and on my eyelids. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? I use GenuCell too. This stuff is amazing. And with its instant effects, you'll see results in the first 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. But don't wait. This crazy sale will only be around for two more weeks. This holiday season, you'll also get the legendary Esotique Face Cream as a free gift. Call 800-442-3684. That's 800-442-3684. Call now and priority holiday shipping is also free. 800-442-3684. That's 800-442-3684. Are things getting a little messy around the office? At Coast Paper and Supply, we'll meet all your janitorial needs. Mops, dusters, disinfectants? We got them. Can't get rid of that smell in the break room? Try our deodorizer. Carpet stains? We have a cure for that, too. While you're at it, pick up the essentials. Garbage cans and liners, sponges and brooms. Is your company going green? Coast Paper and Supply is offering earth-friendly cleaning and food service alternatives. Our ever-evolving stock includes compostable bowls, plates, cups, and cutlery. Not to mention eco-friendly cleaners and biodegradable trash can liners, all at the lowest possible price. So come visit Coast Paper and Supply at 151 Josephine Street or look us up at coastpapersupplyinc.com. You can also call us at 831 831- Four two three 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 five zero. That's eight three one four two three 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 five zero. Back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and today our guest is popular journalist Sean McElwee. Another interesting fact your research uncovered was. Uh, that uh, the wealthy see a distinct difference between the two political parties, whereas the poorest rungs in society perceive very little difference. Is that right? Yeah, yep, Uh, definitely. Um, And so this is another one of those sort of looking at the individual determinants of turnout. Um, And what, what we find in the political science research is that if an individual sees a large difference between the two parties, uh, they're more likely to vote for those two vote because, you know, they, they see the stakes as, as much higher. Um, and what what I argue is possibly one of the causes here is, first off, uh, low-income people are less likely to be highly engaged in politics. Um, and what that means is that the increasing polarization that has been occurring uh, hasn't really reached as many people. Um, and so as people start to realize that the parties are polarizing, they might start to see uh, the, the the voting choice as more important. Um, but again, this is something that we know that we know that the uh, the seeing differences between the parties makes people more likely to vote. But it's difficult to know how how the effect of polarization will actually be perceived by individuals. Mm-hmm. Now, the irony here, of course, is that when a segment of society doesn't show up to vote, it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, because then there's no reason for the politicians to pay attention to them. I mean, isn't that true? Absolutely. I actually have a report coming out um, in, on the 15th of September making this exact argument, um, looking at historical evidence as well as opinion data. Um, and, and these gaps, by the way, uh, I talk a lot about class gaps, but it's also really worth talking about race and age gaps because you you'd brought that up before the uh, the mm-hmm. break. So in the most recent, the 2015 election, turnout among non-Hispanic whites uh, is 46 percent. Among non-Hispanic blacks, it's 41 percent. So we're seeing a five-point gap there. Uh, the really big gaps, though, are when we look at Asians. They had 27 percent turnout. So that's one in four Asian Americans are voting. And among um, Hispanics, it's 27 uh, points. So again, we're seeing a, a huge gap between white turnout and t- turnout among Hispanics and Asians. Um, now, census doesn't do this, but I, using the data, uh, wanted to look at, okay, so how does this look among youth? And here we're seeing really, really big uh, turnout problems. 
Um, so among Hispanics that are between the ages of 18 and 24, only 13 percent voted in the 2014 election. And among Asians, only 11 percent voted. So we're just seeing abysmal. I mean, it, it, these data are suggesting that one in 10 Hispanic and Asian American youth between the ages of 18 and 24 are turning out to vote in the elections. I mean, that's really worrying, especially when on the flip side, among non-Hispanic whites who are over the age of 60, you have 60% turnout. So, But this speaks to your issue yeah. that if there are no programs that uh, ever address the Asian population in the United States, and I don't know about you, but I haven't heard any, I, I don't hear any politicians talking about Asian-specific issues. You hear about the black-specific issues, but you don't really hear that. So it's almost like, you know, we didn't have senior voters until Social Security. There's nothing, there's no reason for them to show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think there is, we have to sort when we look at turnout, we have to address it really holistically, and we have to address all of these these problems. Um so as sort of like, you know, as a summary-ish sort of point, uh, my key argument here is that one of the big problems here is also your very low registration rates. So I'm looking at registration rates 8 to 24. Um, and among, you know, uh, Asians and Hispanic youth, we're still seeing 30% registration rates. Yes. So even if all of the Hispanic and Asian youth who could vote voted, right, you still have half the turnout of non-Hispanic whites for 65. And so my argument for the reason for why automatic voter registration would be such a game changer is all of a sudden all of these people who are currently not seen as sort of viable voters or people who are worth really trying to mobilize all of a sudden become ducks in the pond. And you have to A, make your policies in line with what really is exciting uh, these groups, and B, you have to mobilize them because if you don't mobilize them, the other party is going to mobilize them. Very good point and well said. Uh, you know, if somebody's going to jump on these voters, might as well be you. Lastly, do you have a website or a Facebook page where uh, listeners can go to get more information about your work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have the demos.org website, which is a lot of my reports appear. Uh, that's demos, D-E-M-O-S, dot org. Um, I write really frequently for both Salon and Al Jazeera, so my stuff appears there. Um, I do have a Facebook, that's Sean McAwee, that's S-E-A-N-M-C-E-L-W-E-E, but I'm most active on Twitter, which is my handle is just the at sign and then Sean McAwee, so S-E-A-N-M-C-E-L-W-E-E, and that's where I post most of my work. Well, that is all the time that we have today. But before we let you go, let me thank you for the research you put into this article. And uh, we look forward to having you back again. Thank you, Mr. McElvey. All right. And thank you for having me on. If your station is leaving us after the first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with journalist Sean McElwee, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If ever there was this sign that the vision the Founding Fathers had for this country, uh, that it's gone haywire. It's the number of people who do not show up to vote. Among developed nations, we have one of the lowest turnouts. Less than half of the eligible Americans bothered to show up for the last midterm election, the lowest number since 1978. What do you think about that? And how can we re-engage America? You can post your ideas and comments on the contact page at RebeccaCosta.com or on our Facebook and Twitter sites. And if you happen to miss the full interview with McElwee, remember that you can download episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel. And if you haven't been to our website yet, we'll do that now because it is chocked full of videos, book reviews, and blogs, and breaking news. And all, all you have to do to enjoy all of this content is go to RebeccaCosta.com. It will cost you nothing, and it is completely calorie-free. And while you're at the website, be sure to check out our bookstore because when you click on any book, on the bookstore page, it'll take you straight over to Amazon.com. And by going through our book page to get to Amazon, you help support programming like you heard today. It is absolutely true. Amazon pays the cost to report a small percentage of everything 
and anything that you buy on Amazon if and only if you go to our book page first. And I do mean everything, a new printer, a backpack for school, a book, a camera, even a pair of socks. No matter what you order from Amazon, they pay a royalty to the Costa Report when you go through our website to get to Amazon. It won't cost you one red cent. So please, the next time you're going shopping on Amazon, go to RebeccaCosta.com and click on any book on the bookstore page. And by the way, tell your friends also, even if they're not listeners, tell them, go to RebeccaCosta.com and and go through their portal to get to Amazon. It's easy, it's free, and it's a way to support your favorite weekly news program, and we appreciate it. Now, if you're a regular listener of this program, you know I normally conclude the hour by announcing next week's guest. That is when I know who our guest is going to be. But for reasons that I'm telling you the truth, folks, uh, for reasons that we have been unable to get to the bottom of, our guest next week has asked to keep their appearance under very tight wraps uh, until the day before they appear. So check your local affiliate stations. I'm sure they'll be promoting the guest uh, uh, like crazy. 48 hours before uh, their appearance on the show. I, I suppose we're all going to find out together what that reason was. So definitely stay tuned and uh, we'll keep you notified as, as soon as we know who that guest is as well. And uh, and I also want to take a moment to point to uh, Sean McElwee's work in Salon uh, and also on his um, on his Facebook page, and to follow if you if you're a Twitter user, follow him. Uh, I I think you'll find that he is one of the most popular and uh, influential journalists that we have in our country right now. Um, he's doing tremendous research, and more importantly, connecting the dots in a way that I don't see anyone else uh, connecting them. So I hope that you'll you'll follow him on Twitter and look for his articles wh- wherever you can find them. I hope you'll also join me next week, once again, right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management Thank you.